could turn to John chapter 11. There's a seat. There's always, there's always more seats. The book of John is in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, if you're not familiar with your Bible. The New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, then it's Luke, then it's John. John chapter 11. The, mis- the title of today's message is Ingredients for a Miracle. And um, we're going to just spend some time looking at some ingredients that we find in this story that give us the miracle that we're going to read about. John chapter 11 verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So... The sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again? Jesus answered, aren't there twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so we might die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. When she'd said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odour. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, 
didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So, they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What a story, eh? What an amazing story. Before we even get into preaching, there's two things I want you to know about this story. Firstly, it's historical narrative. Whether or not you're here today as a believer, you believe the Bible, you believe it's God's word, whether you're here as an atheist, you don't, or an agnostic, you're not sure, I want to assure you that the author, John, intended this to be read as historical narrative. There's nothing about the way it's written, the genre, the style that would suggest it's myth, on pure symbolism, there's too much mess. There's way too much mess which speaks of reality for us to get away with that. There's confusion. The disciples don't go, oh, we'll go and we'll die with him. I mean, you don't get that kind of pessimism in legends and myths. It's like, we're with you all the way. It's not that. Thomas goes, oh, come on, we'll, just, we'll go and get killed. That's, not, that's, that's what people are like. It's not me. There's um, confusion. Mary runs out to see Jesus and they think, oh, she's gone to the tomb. It's just human, this human um, miscommunication and misunderstanding. It's, it's intended as historical narrative. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, is that it includes a miracle. Now, John is the only gospel writer who uses this term miracle to describe Jesus' healings, resurrections and various other things that he did. And the word means indication or sign. It indicated something else. So, yes, it happened historically, but it pointed to something else. It pointed to salvation. This story points to salvation. It lets us know that Jesus is the only one who's able to bring the dead to life through his powerful command. It's a picture, an image of what happens when someone is saved. I'm sure even those of you that aren't familiar with church have heard the term, Jesus wants to save you, or Jesus saved me. What does that mean? What does it mean to be saved? When the Christians talk about it, what are they talking about? A few things. Number one, regeneration. It's a theological term, it means being born again. When you get saved, the Bible puts it like this, your heart of stone gets removed, your heart of flesh gets put in, it's a heart transplant. And so you're not what you were. It's not that you're trying harder, it's not that you've turned over a new leaf, a miracle happens, God works on you, and he takes out that heart that was really hard to him, and blind to him, and dull to him, and he puts in a heart that knows him, so that where before praying was something you did to try to get to God, or praying was something you did when you were in trouble, now praying is something you do because it's instinctive to the core of who you are because you know him. It's a miracle. Another term, conversion. Which means that you are turned around. You were going in one direction, but then you are turned. So it's like your moral centre changes. Before you used to delight in doing certain things, you now abhor them. You now think, I don't want to do that anymore. Something's changed on the inside. I can't quite explain it or describe it. I now just want to do stuff that pleases Jesus. It's miraculous. And it, it's almost funny sometimes. When I first became a Christian, it was, it, there was a, looking back, it was, 
humorous, the things I used to just love getting into, suddenly I just didn't want to do them. I look back, I think, wow. And I make jokes because sometimes, you know, before my life would have looked cool from the outside. So we'd go do the club thing and the dance thing. Not that there's anything sinful necessarily about that, but my aims in it were sinful. That is what I used to do. And then after I got saved, I was Mr. Sad. I, I used to sit in my bed and write my pad, Jesus is Lord, and go, wow, that, that's weird. That's sad. I mean, it's very sad. I don't want to become a Christian. I understand that if you look at it externally, but you've got to ask the question, what happened internally? I was turned. And where before, just in, in the eyes of the world, look, people want to see me as cool or trying to go and um, uh, um, get as many girlfriends as I could and these things. That was the thing that motivated me. Suddenly, I just loved Jesus. And it was the most thrilling and wonderful thing that ever happened to me. It's a miracle. Another term we use is sanctification, which is talking about that lifelong process where when God begins a work in you, he then commits himself to making you more like Jesus and changing you from the inside out. Okay? Being a Christian isn't that you try and be nice from now on. Something happens on the inside and you are changed as you go on you become more like Jesus. And those things in our character that we are ashamed of, and those, um, maybe it's, maybe it's a bad temper, or maybe it's uncontrollable lust, or maybe it's envy that we just can't deal with. These various things, God goes to work on us and changes us. That's Christianity, that's conversion, that's salvation. And then finally, physical glorification. That at Christ's return, we're going to be given a body that will be able to handle what's gone on inside of us. At the moment, our bodies can't handle what's happened inside of us. Okay, they go on dying, the treasure inside goes on getting newer and newer. But when Christ comes again, we'll be given a body that will just be the business. There'll be no indwelling sin in it, Um, it won't be prone to illness or death, it will be as new and as eternally new as what God's done on the inside of us. It'll be as physical as this body. Don't have the floating, don't have floaty floaty theology, you know. When I go to heaven, I'll be floating around. No, you won't. You'll be physical. You'll be just as God loves. Physical is good. Nothing unspiritual about physical. God creates this good. Okay? So food's good. Sex within marriage is good. These physical things, they're good things. And in salvation, God comes to redeem everything. The whole creation. New heavens, new earth, but comes to redeem us completely as well. Give, start by giving us a new heart, then gives us a new body. That's salvation. It's good, isn't it? Yeah? So this, this story here speaks of salvation. That is what we have here. And um, salvation is the biggest miracle that will ever happen. The biggest miracle that could ever happen. I rejoiced when Lena came up to me today and said, I haven't itched for three days. I didn't know. I prayed them, was it, when did I come around? Thursday? I said, yeah, we haven't been in touch since. So she came up today. She said, I haven't itched for three days. I wanted to jump and hit the ceiling. It's fantastic. But it's nothing compared to what I feel when someone gets born again. Yeah? Nothing. It's totally different leagues. When someone comes to know God, when someone's reconciled with God, when God does that amazing miracle, oh, there's nothing like it. And so this is the kind of miracle I want. Don't we want to see more people become born again? Yes. Don't we just? It's not just that we want to get a, our gang, make our gang bigger, so we can challenge the socialists and their big gang on Sunday in the school up there. You know, it's not about that. That's carnal. That's fleshy. What is it? It's that thing on the inside that says... We want people to experience what we've experienced. Yeah? We've known the love of Jesus change our lives and we want others to know that. And no matter how many people tell us that we shouldn't want that because it's bad, because it's naughty to want someone to convert to your religion, because you should just let people alone with what they believe, no matter how many times they tell us that, on the inside we say, yeah, but. <laughs> we can't stop. 
It's not because we don't respect other people. It's not because we, we just want to trample over people or anything of the sort. But to know God. To be released from dead religion. Ah, oh, ah, oh, with all its futility. Try harder. Do this and you might make it. All that nonsense. To have that sweeped out of the way and for God to come in mercy and bring new life. How can you not want that for someone? When you've experienced that for yourself, how can you not want that for someone? It's terrible. It's like having a cure for cancer and just keep it to yourself. You can't stop wanting people to be saved. I long for it. And we do as a church. So I want to just look at some of the ingredients in this story. I don't know how far we'll get. We'll get as far as we get. Um, I've only got an hour and a half, so I might speak quickly. (laughs) (laughs) What are you laughing? Okay, no. Um, First thing, I want is this, because I think with miracles we tend to go a bit funny. Let's root it. This whole story is rooted in relationship. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings. They would have had the kind of tensions that siblings sometimes have. Anyone here got a sibling? You can relate to what I'm saying. Okay? <coughs> Pressing the right buttons. You, you see it when, Mary, when Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house for a meal, and Martha's in the kitchen, getting stressed, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet being spiritual, and Martha comes in and says, Lord, don't you care? And Jesus says, Mary's chosen the best thing. <laughs> it's tension. So they're brother and sister, they have a normal brother and sister relationship, but they're friends with Jesus as well. It's not just that they're followers, there's a, there seems to be, it's, you know, Lazarus isn't part of the twelve, but there's, a, there's affection, there's friendship. In, in the Greek there's two words for love, one is phileo, which means affection, brotherly love, I feel chemistry with you, I feel a connection, I just love being around you. The other is agape, which you won't find in any other Greek literature except the New Testament. It was a word created, um, really, for Christian doctrine. And it's Christian love, which basically has nothing to do with affection, but it's really, it's this, it's a determination to do someone good. Regardless of how I feel about you, regardless of whether there's any chemistry there or not, I'm determined to do you good. That's Christian love. Now, in this story, both of the words are used. So we know that Jesus, not surprisingly, had Christian love for <laughs> Mary, Martha and Lazarus. It's a good job. Um, but we also find there's affection, there's chemistry, they, they have meals together. There's that kind of situation going on. This genuine friendship. So when Jesus comes into this story, he's not the mystical guru from Never Neverland. He's the friend of the family, the carpenter, but the miracle working carpenter. Okay? So it's relationship. There's relationship everywhere. So Mary, Martha and Lazarus know Jesus but also Mary, Martha and Lazarus know people who don't know Jesus. Because we see that when Lazarus dies, many from Jerusalem, two miles away, come to mourn with them. Now, if you've ever been around um, the Middle East, or in a Middle Eastern context, or an African context, when someone's died, you will know that it's very, very different from when someone dies in England. It is a different world. In my last church, there was an African woman, four lovely children, whose husband died in a car crash in um, Nigeria. And um, just total surprise, he was out there visiting relatives. And so we went, as elders, two of, two of us who were elders in the church, went round to bring comfort. And I guess you expect to find the woman there and her children. Oh, no. I mean, it seemed like the world and his wife was there. Because you mourn corporately. Because it's a corporate culture. It's not an individualistic culture like ours. You just hide away for a few months and cry a lot. That's not what happens. They're all around her. There's advice coming left, right, and so people are talking. It's, and she's sliding out of her seat crying, and it's all just all at the same time. And you're like, this is different. 
And so Lazarus has died, and so the Jews have heard about it. Well, come on, so they've come en masse. It seems like a good number of them to mourn with them. Now, in our culture, we think, no, leave me alone to mourn. Not in that culture. No, come and mourn with me. That's what you did. So we've got this setting where they know Jesus and they know unbelievers. They know those who don't know Jesus. And into that mix comes Jesus and a miracle happens. Application. You need to be friends with Jesus. You need to be friends with people who don't know Jesus. Then when things kick off, you can bring Jesus into the situation and your unbelieving friends get to see a miracle. Let me just unpack that a little bit. Being friends with Jesus. Some professing Christians get Jesus out on a Sunday in the same way other people get their golf clubs out on a Sunday. And then they pack him away at the end of the day and then they do their Monday to Saturday thing. So all Jesus, Jesus on a Sunday and it all goes quiet the rest of the week. That is not friendship. Friendship, which is Jesus' desire, Jesus called his disciples and then towards, towards the end of his ministry he said, no longer do I call you servants, now I call you... Right, that's his desire. He wants to be your friend. Friends are allowed to inconvenience, aren't they? Yeah? Because they're friends. Friends can really come along at any point if they're friends. Yeah? You might not have planned it, but they're friends. They're dropping by. Cool, yeah, come in, you're friends. It's a different. Friendship is a wonderful gift from God. You can't contrive it. You can't pretend it's, there, it's over there or it isn't. Friendship. Jesus wants to be friends with you so that he can be involved in every part of your life. He's interested in what you do at work. He's interested in what you do at uni. He's interested in what you do in your bedroom. He's interested in every part of your life. That's a positive thing. That's not to be feared. If you're fearing that, you're most likely doing things in the dark that you shouldn't be doing. Or doing things in some part of your life that actually Jesus wouldn't like. In which case, you just need to repent so that you can invite Jesus into all of your life. He wants to be your friend. Also, Jesus doesn't want you to be isolated so you can have your little spiritual thing with Jesus going on. He wants you to be connected with people who don't know Jesus. I was walking past the bingo hall in Camden the other day. I thought, I'm going to have a look in there. I've never looked in a bingo hall before. I thought, I'd have a look in there. And there was these uh, women on the door that were out smoking. I thought, are they the bouncers? I don't know. I didn't know. I just, <laughs> do I need permission? I wasn't sure, but I just thought, I, walk, I look confident. That normally works. So I did, and they probably thought I was a manager or something. So I just walked in. I thought, I wonder what it's like. And it, I was shocked with what I discovered. Here's what it's like. I mean, the hall was cavernous. It was huge. And here's how it's laid out. You have a voice coming from somewhere, I don't know where. I think it was recorded. I was expecting someone to be sitting back going, two fat ladies, there was none of that. It was a voice, recorded voices. Coming, okay, and really, really quick, really quick. I thought, man, this is quicker than I preach. This is crazy. I couldn't follow it. And here's how it's set out. Throughout the whole room, you have a table, four chairs around it, row of two facing row of two. So you think, okay, this is set out for community. There were probably in the afternoon about, I don't know, maybe, maybe 30 to 50 people in the hall. Everybody, everybody except two of those people were occupying a seat on a table by themselves. That surprised me. Because I thought you went to bingo, and you didn't really like the bingo, but you liked the company. Obviously not. People who don't live in a city don't get that cities are lonely. They don't get it. I said, well, of course you're not lonely. There's loads of people everywhere. Hmm, that's not the point. Cities are very lonely places. They are fragmented places. They are places full of fear. People want community, but fear community. Want community, but don't want commitment. Long for community in one sense, but in another sense, they're so suspicious and uh, are so full of what's it going to mean that actually they back off as well. The vast majority of houses that are going up, being built, apartments are for one person in London. 
That's not necessarily negative, but it says something about our society. It's lonely, fragmented. Now, our role as a church is to build a city within a city. So to build a city, a community that looks different, that's built on different values. Therefore, there must be community. Yeah? Not just that we attend somewhere on a Sunday, but that we see each other, that we enjoy each other's company, and that within that community there's friendships that are being formed that will last a lifetime. Yeah? Deep, real, meaningful connections and relationships and community and fun and laughter together. That is God's plan for us. And within that, that there will be many, many people that we know that aren't perhaps in, in the sense of they're not believers, but they're around us, and we know them. And we're meaningfully involved as friends with them. That kind of situation is a great setting for a miracle. Yeah? Yeah. Number one. Number two, faith. Faith. Three times Jesus mentions faith in this story. Verse 14. Jesus told them, Lazarus has died and I'm happy about it. (laughs) I'm happy I wasn't there so that you may believe. Jesus is saying, I'm glad that it's as bad as it could be. So that when I turn it around, you begin to grasp what I'm about. That's very important. Now what does faith or believe mean? We, we are at a disadvantage here, because in our language, believe means to mentally assent to something. And your mind say, yes, I can see that that works together, and I'm going to say that that makes sense. Okay. Biblically, it's much more about trusting the word. It's a trust thing. Okay. So if you're thinking about, do I have faith, you should be asking yourself, do I trust? Key ways to work that out are with finances, key area of trust. Are you trusting Jesus with your finances? How do you know? Probably two ways. Number one, are you giving? And number two, are you being straight with the tax man, etc.? If you're doing both those things, then most likely you are trusting Jesus with your finances. Relationships, are you trusting Jesus? What does that mean? Well, are you keeping yourself isolated or are you looking to develop friendships with people? So you trust Jesus in it. There's all kinds of fears that come. Okay, So faith is really about trusting Jesus. Number one, I'm glad it's got as bad as it can. So when you see what I do, you think, oh my goodness, you are serious. <laughs> yeah? You're not just, you, you can't, you know, we know you can do the ill person thing, but you can do the dead person thing. You know, it's like this is, it's, it's, it's Jesus will be exalted in their eyes. Jesus will be glorified and it will be a very wonderful thing. The other, the other exchange, which is wonderful, is when Martha um, meets with Jesus. I love this. Um, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And then she gets all theological and spiritual. Yes, yes, Lord, I know about the resurrection. He says, I'm the resurrection. Because it's so easy to begin to say, oh yes, I believe, yes, oh yes. Because it does have no impact on the here and now. Huh? You understand what I'm saying? You can, you can, you can go all theological. Theology is good. But if it's just theory, if you can, if you can quote it, but there's, you're not living it. It's t- Jesus wants to say, no, let's bring it into the here and now. I'm the resurrection. So then Master starts thinking, you're saying, your brother will rise again, and then he's saying, you're the resurrection, and you're here. Oh my goodness. He's going to rise again now. Jesus is calling her into faith for now. It's too easy to say, I believe God next week. I'll believe God next month. It doesn't happen. If you can't believe God for the here and now, you will not believe him for next week. You won't. If you can't trust him for your current situation, do not be mad enough to think that when something bigger comes, you'll trust him. You won't. That is why the kingdom of God principle is this, that if you trust him with what you've got, then he'll give you more. Because you'll be able to handle that. Yeah? You must 
exercise the trust that you have now for your situation now. It will never, it will never, it will not serve you to say, oh, well, we'll just put it off a bit longer. No, now. Yeah? Say now. 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 It's so important. Jesus, I am. Not I will be, I am. Are you expressing your trust in Jesus in the here and now? It's so important, vital. And then we get this great situation by the, by the tomb. Now, when it comes to miracles, Jesus wants to work with us. Okay? It's not just watch me, I'm going to do this. He wants to work with us. What is the act of faith that, that the people have to do in this story? Move the stone. Jesus leaves them with one thing to do. Yeah? I love it. The most scary thing. The most unsettling thing. Jesus says, I want you to do that. Why doesn't Jesus just say, stand back boys and girls, roll his sleeves up, roll it away. Oh, I mean, you know, if I was doing it, <laughs> let's do the full thing. Stone out. Or let's move the stone without touching it. Now we're talking. <laughs> then they're really going to know a thing or two about who I am. That's, no, Jesus says, no. I'm with you. It's the same you see it with the bread and the fish. Jesus says, here you go, you feed them. It's like, what? Includes them in it. Water and the wine. Fill the jugs. Oh, well, can't you? This is your miracle. Yeah, I'm doing it. But come on, let's do it together. We're doing it. I want you to train you in miracles. Move the stone. It's going to be horrible. It's going to stink. And if you've got sensitive noses, everything you know. Everyone's, everyone is petrified at this point. Except Jesus. Come on. And then he says, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. The implication is what? If you don't, you won't. It's one of them faith churches. Yeah. It's one of them faith churches. I think to have an unfaith church, I mean, I'd rather be in a faith church than an unfaith church. I don't know about you. Jesus makes a big deal about faith. A big deal. But we're clear that faith isn't something you just whip up. It comes from above. It comes as you hear God's word and soak in it. Yeah? If something goes wrong, if someone gets ill, we don't blame them for their lack of faith. That's total terror, horror. Don't do that, ever. But we do encourage one another. Come on, believe God. Believe Him. Some of you are in tough situations. You're in tough seasons. And you're thinking, what's the way through? I'll tell you more than anything else the way through is believe God. Not that you don't do anything practical, but at its heart, I feel, I was praying this morning, I felt like God spoke to me. There are some of you, you're in a situation, you... It's got to the point where you think, I can't do anything now. And you're thinking, and I feel like God's word to you is, yeah, believe me. This situation was way beyond anything. It was, I mean, the man's been in the tomb four days. Please, four days is a long time when you're mourning. It's a long time. You know, there's no hope. And Jesus turns up when you think, Mary and Martha say identical sentences. If you'd been him, a brother wouldn't have died. But their assumption is, it's been four days, man. I mean, you don't, you don't raise the dead, especially after four days. So why? So that God will be glorified. Why has my situation got like this? Why is there nothing I can do now? So that God can be glorified. Now trust him. Yeah? Don't fall into complaining, murmuring, moaning, blaming. Classic human response when things aren't going well, huh? Don't we? You almost find it. Who can I blame? <laughs> Whose fault is this? Who got me into this? You're most likely either yourself or God. Either way, trust Him. Trust
trust him. If there's stuff for you to do, God highlights, do it. But ultimately trust him. So there's faith. You want to see a miracle? Faith needs to be in there. And the final thing is this, is surprise. This whole story is just full of surprises. Full of them. The timing's all wrong. The timing is all out. This, I love this bit in, um, what verse is it? It's like, this to me doesn't work, kind of like. It just doesn't seem to work. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's the so at the start of the sentence. It seems like you're going to say something logical. Yeah? <laughs> the verse 5 is Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus. Okay, great. So, so okay. Jesus loved them. So, so he's going to run like mad. What's the quickest donkey around here? <laughs> yeah? So, this is logic. Right, okay. So, he stayed two days longer where he was. Maybe it's the verse 5 should say Jesus didn't like them that much. Jesus didn't like them that much. They thought he were friends, but you ask Jesus a different story. Jesus wasn't too keen on them. So when he had Lazarus, he stayed there long. That makes sense. That, that sentence works for me, literally, from an English point of view. No, he loved them, so he stayed there longer. What's going on? Jesus will make you sweat sometimes. Bottom line. He will make you sweat. If you've been a Christian more than a month, you'll know what I'm talking about. It doesn't just go like that, does it? doesn't just all pan out your way. And those of you that are controllers, oh, I'm not one, so I've got little sympathy for you. <laughs> I'm more the random end of the spectrum, but those of you, no, I will be sympathy, sorry, okay. Those of you that are controllers, I'm sorry. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Those of you who, some people, they just, without even realising, they have this concrete plan in their mind of what's going to happen for the next 30 years. I can't relate to that, but some people, that is what they are. And then something in the plan doesn't happen and Jesus doesn't love them. You think, hold on, it's all gone wrong. No, it hasn't. He just didn't do your plan. It's all fine. It's surprising following Jesus. Now, I'm sure he'll use that side of you. Maybe you'll be a good administrator. So I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you'll be, you know, and that's fine. But you've got to know when to just say, okay, all right. Yeah, it's surprising. What else is surprising? It's messy. I mean, this is like potentially very, very messy. Corpse four days in tomb, move the stone. You just think, no, you can't be saying this. And there are times when Jesus says things and you think to yourself, you can't be saying this. And the conviction doesn't go. Because <laughs> he is. And you think, oh my. Not that he says bad things, but sometimes he says things, says things you think, this is very surprising. I wasn't ready for this. And here, I'm going to end on this, is perhaps one of the most surprising things. I would have thought that if Jesus would have raised Lazarus from the dead after four days, Lazarus would have come out in a brand new suit. Or something shiny. Something resurrecty. Do you want something miraculously? A white suit. A white three-piece suit. <laughs> That's what I would have imagined. You could see the shine before he arrived. Here he comes. Whoa, whoa. No. He looks like something from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> He's completely covered in his face. So he's banging into the wall. He's all over the place. His face. He says that. His face as well. He says, he's all over. He's like, covered in toilet roll. 
You know, you do it in paint with the kids or the angels. It's that thing. And Jesus then says, okay, now there's some work to do. Unbind him. When you see someone get saved, they get saved. But they very often bring into their new life all kinds of things associated with the death of their old life. And then we have the job of making them into disciples. Let me help you get that off. Let me talk to you about this. Let me just work with you. You're still, you're still some of the things you're, you know, graciously, gently, patiently, but we have to help people to unravel themselves from their past lives. Sexual immorality. After people are, no, you can't do that anymore because you're following Jesus now. Sex is for marriage. Let's talk this patiently, graciously. Well, it's a better thing. It's, a, it's God's blessing for you. Stealing. Some people, that's only, I used to steal big things, now I steal small things. That's great. Now let's keep going. <laughs> yeah? Just get the, get, unravel you. Yeah? yeah? Bitterness. It's anger. You think, okay, what's that? Then you find out there's been loads of abuse or things have gone on. There's lots of unforgiveness. Okay, okay let's talk it through. Let's pray it through. Let's see God bring his healing. And you're unraveling them so that, so that they come into, uh, into good shape. You see, there's work to be done. And just because someone's born again, if they then do crazy sins, it doesn't mean they're not born again, it just means they're working out, still got bumped into the world, got these grave clothes on, we're patient, but we work with people, yeah? yeah? So three things, three ingredients for a miracle. Number one, you need to be friends with Jesus and friends of unbelievers. And you need to get your friends around Jesus. And the best way to do that is to get them around other people who know Jesus. Because that's how people see Jesus, primarily through Christians. Okay? Whether that's just hospitality out socialising, out clubbing, whether it's church, Sunday morning, Sunday evening from February. Okay, just get them around and just leave, leave the miracle to Jesus. Stop panicking, get your hands off, just let Jesus do what you do. Same thing as faith. How do I grow in faith? Get in the Word. Don't get in the Word to try and earn points with God. Don't get in the Word to try and get God to love you more. Get in the Word because you want faith. I want to believe God more. I want to be soaked in it. I want to be changed by it. Okay? And thirdly, don't worry when things are surprising, when the timing's wrong. <laughs> You think, oh, you know, or there's work to be done. Yeah, there's work to be done. We've got to roll our sleeves up. It's all kinds of things. But it's mirac- miracles are happening. Hallelujah. It's wonderful to see the baptisms last term. Miracles are happening. New life is coming. Lena's testimony this morning. Miracles are happening among us. But we want to press in, don't we, for more and more, yeah? And so, and so we, just, we just need to be in that place where we're trusting God, where we are believing. And we're going to end with one thing. Jesus being deeply moved. And we're going to finish. It's a point in and of itself because it's so glorious. Where it says Jesus was deeply moved, here's what it means in the Greek. Jesus snorted with anger. Jesus snorted with anger. That's what he did. Why? Because he hates death. Because he hates destruction. Because he hates misery. He hates it. And when he sees lives being ruined, and when he sees people mourning and death and things that he never originally intended for his creation, it enrages him, not at us, but at Satan. He hates it. Also, Jesus weeps, because he has compassion for what we feel. He knows what it's like to be human. Fully God, fully man. He knows what it's like. He's able to come alongside as a high priest and sympathise and put his arm around us. He knows what it's like. He weeps and he snorts with anger. And the reason why people aren't getting saved in huge droves is not because Jesus doesn't care and never buy into that and never dare believe that. He cares much more than we do. He cares, and I don't understand the timing of God. I, I think very often it's timing. I think very often it's him waiting for us to catch up so we feel his heart. I think we feel the occasional pain for the lost. He feels it constantly. G.K. Chesterton, 
who was a famous Christian writer, said, he's dead now, but he said this, he said, I, th- I feel that maybe the main reason we're not allowed to see God's face is that we wouldn't be able to handle the sadness. He sees a God of joy and celebration, but he sees every nasty thing that goes on. And in his holy and pure and childlike heart, it affects him much more than it affects us. We need to catch and know the heart of Jesus. That's what we need. You, what, what, if you said to me, Steph, what do I need more than anything else to bear fruit? Get the heart of God. Get the heart of God. Let him change her into a passionate, snorting, crying Christian. Yeah? Too much. Too much reserve. There's no stiff upper lip with Jesus. He feels it and he lets it be known. And I, you know, when he, when he hears a man who's, who's deaf and dumb and he puts his fingers in his ears and he groans. Argh! What's going on? I don't know, but I know he's feeling something. We don't have to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us interceding for us with groans too deep for words. We're to be people that feel more than any other people on the planet. Should be much more passionate than the socialists up there. Not aggressive or militant or abrasive, but passionate. In prayer, passionate in loving one another, passionate in worship. Should we worship him? Yes. Should we praise him? Yes. Let's do it. Let's stand, shall we? The band's going to come up.